Welcome back to Following Noadon, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 180, and we are in chapters 51 through 58, ending part four of The Hero of Ages. Paul, how are you? I'm wonderful. Excited. Um, you always ask me, and I feel like I say the same thing, and so I now I'm buckling to that pressure that I just realized. So... That's it. I'm good. I'm I'm good. Maybe I'll come up with something cleverer next week. More clever. Elliot, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm listening to the audiobook of Elantris right now. And today I had to stop at literally the climax of the book. In the dead center of the, what I'm 100% sure is the climax of the story. And so all day, all day, I've been thinking about what's going to happen to Rayodin and Sereni. So now I got to shift gears in t- back into the other book that I'm reading, which is The Hero of Ages. But yes, pardon me if I drop any Elantris names on accident, because I really got to know what's going to happen in the next like five minutes of that audiobook. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I finished Elantris couple weeks ago, but I can't imagine starting the part five of the Hero of Ages and part three of Elantris at the same time. That must be confusing. Not the least, not the smallest bit confused also by the fact that one of the characters in Elantris, his name is Ash, and yeah. The Ash in in Elantris and the Ash in Mistborn is confusing me. All right. Let's get a brief summary from Elliot. But before we do that, let's roll intro on 51 through 58 of the Hero of Ages. Take it away when you're ready, Elliot. All right. So chapters 51 and 58 through 58 take us to the end of part four. And as you'd expect for a Brandon Sanderson book, quite a lot starts to happen at this stage in the in the story. So starting with chapter 51, Ellen goes and gathers up a whole bunch more just to beef up his army, I guess. And by himself, he's kind of a one-man. He's he's kind of a one-man army himself now at this point with his newfound misborn powers. So demonstrating those, we get a brief glimpse of Hensoon in chapter fifty-two as he impersonates Kelsier, which is weird, and gathers some information, but maybe gets the wrong information because he heads north to to Orto to go try and find Vin, whereas we know Vin is not in Orto. She's down at Fadric City, so he's headed the, the wrong direction. Chapter 53 takes us to Spook, who is in Orto, and he is able to take Be- Beldra? It's another name I can't yep, Beldra. decide how it's pronounced. Beldra. He takes Beldra, who is Cullion, the citizen's sister captive and he's really kind of building momentum for his rebellion we're getting we're getting to the the breaking point with uh, the rebellion that spook is leading along with sazed and breeze then meanwhile in chapter 54 these chapters jump around a lot we're getting into the you know the last pace part of it where we kind of jump from one character to the next chapter 54 Vin has been captured by yeoman she has no medals left he's been able to Urge her of all her medals so she doesn't have her her powers, and she learns that Yeoman is planning to execute her. At least that's what he says. Back over to Ellen in chapter 55. He has an encounter with the spirit, which maybe is the miss spirit we've seen all this time, and we're told kind of through the epigraphs that that spirit is reservation. Yeah, and Ellen has a conversation. Well, not really a conversation because they're not sharing words, right? The Miss Spirit is just kind of waving and flailing and pointing and trying to trying to get its message across, like charades style. And I'm not sure we quite got the whole message, but there's at least some communication between Ellen and Preservation. 
and then preservation dies right there i guess yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it uh continues on with uh, chapter 56 and back to spook who is trying to veal quellian as a, as an allomancer and so just kind of building momentum more and more for their the rebellion gets to Vin again. She's still trapped and imprisoned. She talks a lot with Ruin. She learns perhaps more about Ruin, maybe starts to get the inklings of a plan on how to stop him. And then chapter 58 is back to Spook and Orko with the, the big climax of this part and discovering a whole bunch of stuff that ends with Spook charging into building to save the town, which was Seemingly a very fitting and heroic death, maybe? Pretty epic. Survivor of the Flames is what he's called. But yes. They, uh... I can't wait for next episode when Ellen shows back up to Fadrex and says, Preservation is dead, but I'll see what I can do. I'm <laughs> really looking forward to, to that line, but... We'll have to wait till uh, next episode. What are we most excited to talk about? Ellen, Vin, uh, Spook. What do we well, got? I have I, I have a comment to make. Um, so I don't know if this is where we want to start off or where we want to go, but I just need to get this off my off my mind. So Elliot mentioned in his summaries that there's the chapter where preservate. We realize that Ellen is gesturing with preservation mm-hmm. and then it is explained to us the reader that preservation dies and the body is there if ellen would have waited around he would have found it you know yep. that was one of the moments the first time i read this book that i was just like just kind of baffled that this was what we were looking at i guess like like the the death of like the the death of shards, but also the kind of humanity of shards and just all this going on. And this is one of the things that I was really kind of wanted to like tell Elliot about, like at this time, wanted to talk about this. This is one of those moments, not because I have any kind of like crazy big brain theory or a huge takeaway or whatever, but I was just like, just kind of in awe for a second of like how cool this story is and like how cool like that we, are getting to see this like it felt like something that if this was in stormlight i feel like it wouldn't have happened it wouldn't have been an insight that they would have given to the reader i don't know it just felt like too big of a maybe i'm making it too big but that that's just something that really like kind of took me you know just took me with it i don't know what to say you know so one thing that Brandon Sanderson says in his writing lectures uh, for his creative writing class at BYU, he, well, one thing that he has said, and I'm not a writer and I don't intend to be a writer, um, but I watch them because I think they're interesting. One thing he said was, never save anything, never save any of your ideas for a next book. It's okay to plan out a series, but if you have an idea for a single book, put everything you have into that one book. There will always you will always have more content. You don't need to worry about like saving your big punchline for book three or something. He he always said, or he said in the in the class, put everything you have into the book you're writing right then, and you'll always come up with new content. Don't worry about that. And so I I think with the death of preservation that just calls back to me because the scope of what we're dealing with really hits home in that chapter. It, it's kind of hard to get a, your brain around exactly what's going on. Is Ruin like ex- going to accomplish what he's like set, set out to do? There's like there's a lot of doom and destruction, but it's all kind of vague. But when preservation drops dead in the ash, it's a good point of, wow, okay, we are in big trouble. <laughs> so I I just really like that scene because it's a really good way to 
present the stakes of the the story that you're in closing out part four here it's been hard throughout the the series of Mistborn, i think to sometimes grasp what the stakes are right it's been and i'm biased right because we we started elsewhere in the cosmere so i'm coming in with expectations of being able to decipher the the bigger picture and so when we when we struggle with questions like well what does this mean for the entire planet what does this mean for the rest of the cosmere what does it mean for the for shards being starved for that answer is a little weird but then yes these moments i agree with you are very hard hitting in that because i'm i'm just kind of left a little bit in awe like wait did that it just happened did, did that seriously just happen on a moments yeah the it took me this read of the hero of ages to really realize that we did in fact do it backwards and you really are supposed to read the hero of ages before you read stormlight because a lot of the definitions that we get for like the greater cosmere are in part four of the hero of ages we get shards defined for us we get cognitive spiritual and physical defined for us in this uh, in this episode in the epigraphs we get there's another oh adonalsium of course we get kind mm -hmm. of referenced not not necessarily defined that's more defined early in the way of kings um but it's first referenced here so it's really you really should read the Hero of Ages first, but th there's no way we were going to because I really wanted to get you guys to read Stormlight, so that's where we started. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is mildly off topic, so I'm going to keep it really brief. But I'm like, I I've I've re uh, you know recommended Brandon Sanderson books to several people, and it does depend on the person and just if I kind of know their interests or things. But I usually tell people to start in stormlight um i've i've now read both series up to date i mean not era two of mistborn but the standalone era one um and i i i enjoyed a lot more it feels like there's a lot more kind of variety maybe the average person may more people may be able to find what they would like in a story in in stormlight so I think it's a great place to start. But yeah, but if you're going for the whole Cosmere picture, it probably is better to 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 start with this and then go to Stormlight. Because on the first read through, if you don't have... <laughs> if I didn't have this, I mean, I would know like a fourth of what I know just in those normal books, just normally reading it. So it is... It would be interesting in an alternate reality for us to start in Mistborn and try to watch Elliot figure out what a shard means because when when shard is draw I how did you learn about shards to begin with was it was it after we were done with rhythm of war did I talk to you about it or did I explain it before that you did a you did a cosmere 101 class right but that was it after was, rhythm of war no it was before it was after, Oath, it was after oathbringer right you're right it was between yeah. Oathbringer. I'm pretty and sure it was after Oathbringer. Yeah, and I think we did Oathbringer, and then like Dawn Shard, and then Words of Radiance. The the one one, then Dawn Shard, then Words of Radiance. But it's kind of funny. I don't actually remember for sure on that. Did, but either way, I th I think that's when we got our like set in stone definition. Yeah, I think we. I mean, we'd obviously like heard that term before and stuff, but I think that was when. You know, you made it more. Excuse me, made it more plain for us. Yeah. Okay. The conversation between Ellen and preservation, or if you can even call it that, the only positive communication we get from the Miss Spirit is, "I will kill you, death, death, death," scratched on the floor, and then Ellen says. Well, that's uh, that's comforting. Thanks for that. And then he realizes, wait a minute, ruin is right here, changing words as we speak. And 
that line really does hit home for me as a reader. Like I, I know we've seen ruin this whole part talking to Vin, but the fact that he's right here with Ellen caring about what Ellen's doing, like going to get 30,000 Coloss apparently is important for ruin to be paying attention to because he's paying attention to Ellen and altering his conversation with the Miss Spirit, which if the epigraphs are to believed is preservation. So interesting. So Elliot, what did we learn from the Miss Spirit? What did he or it want Ellen to do or not want Ellen to do? It's not a hundred percent clear, even to me having read the epigraphs, which are seem to be giving a kind of, hindsight 2020 view of events but it sounds it seems like preservation is trying to get ellen to stop to go the other way to go home sort of thing that that was kind of my only takeaway was that it seems like communicate stop what you're doing go home to luthadel i i wasn't 100 clear yeah the two the two main takeaways, I think, are don't attack Fadrex, because Ellen asks him for the, the spirit directly, and he you know waves his hand back, and or maybe stands still. I don't remember if it stands still for no, or waves hands for no. I don't remember. Um, but he's, he asked, do you want me to attack Fadrex? The spirit says no. And then the last question... Ellen asks is can we beat it can we win against ruin and it hesitates and then it like waves just briefly and then evaporates into the wind all dramatically so those are our two main takeaways is don't attack Fadrex and you can win but it wasn't sure about it sure doesn't feel like we could win at this point even with the the small amounts of information that Vin is getting directly out of Ruin, I still don't see any path to victory here. It seems like we have hints that maybe Tensoon knows something that would help us. Zayzed could come across, you know, something secret to help. But it just looks like Ruin is in complete control. Or anything you do is just going to help Ruin. Right. You know, we can fight each other, but that just creates chaos, which is exactly what Ruin is going for. It's, I don't, I don't see a way out of this cold sack. That's what he wants you to think. You know, it's exactly what Ruin wants you to think is he's in complete control and anything you're going to do is just going to help him. But I do agree with you. It's like kind of really defeating, um, especially at the end of. Well of Ascension. And there was a maybe another time in there where they're like doing what they believe is gonna be the right thing and they're like figuring something out, but really it's just kind of an elaborate trap set up so that they help Ruin out. It's kinda it's kinda nuts. Well and let's talk about Ruin and preservation for a second actually, because we have started to gather up fair amount of information from our epigraphs which i'm still by the way on epigraphs very unsure about who the author of those is mm -hmm. we've had them consistently throughout the entire book seeming to come from a single point of view but who who is that point of view who, who is the person who is like analyzing and dissecting the events of this entire book in retrospect for us in epigraphs anyway Unfortunately, the hero of ages. They told you. Apparently, as of the first one. Although, as I've learned, anything written on anything not metal is suspect already. So the fact that it's written on paper tells me I can't trust it anyway. Oh, maybe hey, the, the only one who's left at the end of this, maybe Ruin is the hero of ages. Oh, well, there's, there's, a, yeah. there's a theory. It does also explain why y'all's uh, versions are so different. True. <laughs> he's trying to get each of y'all to do specific things, you know? So he's tailored them against you. 
So the information that we do get in the epigraphs is put together some pictures for us. It talks about ruin and preservation specifically. It talks about them you know, working against each other, but kind of sometimes working with each other. It sounds like they work together to create humans, at least in some amount. And then it talks about this pact. Ruin and preservation have made this made this pact. And I think it's even mentioned at one point that preservation is the one who breaks the pact. Preservation is the one who decides to go against the agreement to not defeat each other or try to defeat each other. And kind of gets into the analysis of preservation knew that he couldn't stop ruin. He's he's preservation. He can't destroy you. He can just remove. And so to take down the enemy, he needs something else. And so to come up with a different plan or make a gamble. I, I want to say one of the epigraphs even mentioned the word gambit. They they took a they took a risk. They took a, kind of a path, a guess, a strategy to try and take ruin down. And we're seeing that play out, I guess. Yeah, the the stakes of the epigraphs, if again, if they're to be trusted, are quite high at the end of part four here. We're talking about the original pact of ruin and preservation, and then it skips towards modern day of, I'm not sure why preservation was talking to Elland in chapter 55. Um, but we, we do get some really interesting insight into ruin versus preservation and the rules that are laid out between them because i mean by the end of this episode preservation is dead and all we have is ruin i, I think ellen even thinks to himself in chapter 55 is when the miss spirit walks up to him and says are you on our side or are you, you on their side are you going to solve all of our problems? And then he thinks to himself, uh, no, because that would be too easy. And if that were the case, then it would have already happened. So I've got to figure this out for myself. So the, the fact that there's only one, I'm going to use the term vessel left on Scadrial and not the term shard, because I don't think preservation is gone i think the vessel for preservation is gone and if that distinction confuses anyone who hasn't read stormlight don't worry about it it'll be okay while we're talking about shards and ruin and preservation specifically probably worth jumping to a comment that, that you put in an outline here trevor about what ruin is claiming to be the motive behind Ruin. We've, we're getting more and more... Ruin likes to monologue. He, yes. He's a classic villain who needs affirmation or is prideful or likes to... Bo whatever it is, Ruin... Or, or maybe he's more sneaky than that. I don't know. It, Ruin has been laying some things out to Vin and he kind of sometimes sounds... A little rational, or occasionally you kind of tempted to see his side of things, where he just says, "Well, all things have to end. I'm just the I'm just the caretaker that sees out the end of all things." And there's a few moments where you're almost like, oh. and then you you think about what exactly all that means, and quickly go back to, uh, "Wait, no, no, hold on a second. I'm just the last page of the book. Don't worry about it." <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. They actually, he actually does an impressive job of kind of making you sympathize or like see his side, I guess, if you will. And I have to say, I think that's what in my head, what one of the things that makes a really good villain, I think, is is that of of like understanding their motivation. Like, yes, I would say he's evil, but any villain has their own motivation for why they're doing what they're doing. Very few is, is it out of like a spite or something like that, or like doing it just for the sake of doing wrong. It's usually for a personal gain or whatever, or what they believe to be right. 
And I think I think this actually does a wonderful job of showing that, of showing like a an argument, if you will, that we can even relate to a little bit or see potentially see a purpose in, see see the thought process there, and actually like tie, tie a little skin to a little emotion to it, you know. Whereas like a lot of villains, it's easy to just be like. No, you're just always wrong all the time. Like we actually get a little bit of of interesting perspective, which I really, really like. Adding a little bit of that complication. We've talked before about complicated villains and that villains don't need to be complicated; they can just be evil. I think this toes a really fine line of he is just evil, but we see the motivation behind it, if it will. It's not like a oh he was hurt a long time ago and that's why he turned out bad like he is just bad he is just bad here but there's a little bit of you know the the motivation behind what he does makes you makes you think a little bit and i i think that's really cool and i wanted to point that out and i just realized as you were talking there paul that 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 kind of ties back to our perception of the villains earlier in the series i think i said i forget how early that the inquisitors a very black and white evil. There was there was no question about it. The, the Inquisitors just enjoy pain and killing and destruction. And you could easily group them in a category of evil with no questions whatsoever about whether it's a gray area. I, I now look back on that and see there's a whole other layer to what I was talking about that, I, of course, I had no idea, but we've just arrived at it. We've now... We've now gotten to the source of that. We've gotten to, the, to ruin, and the, the Inquisitor is just a, just an appendage, just a, a pawn, and ruins actions. And so the the effects of what's going on are evil, black and white. But the motives of the source behind it all, not not black and white. There's more to think about. Like you're just just talking to me. There's there's more to be dissected about why there's all this pain and suffering and destruction. So we just had to go a couple levels higher to get to evil. It's all the way at the the fingertips that it's the simple evil. Something that I think is a strength of Sanderson and the Cosmere that he's created. Here comes minor spoilers, vague general spoilers for other Cosmere works. We can have base-level bad guys that that are pure evil, like Ellen's uh, Straff Venture or Sadius or Amram. There's there's a, a little bit of dimension to some of those, but not a whole lot at the end of the day. Um, but in the... In the grand scheme of things, it's really interesting to set up a a universe where there's 16 forces spread out around the universe. And what happens when you pull number two and number eight together? And number two just wants this thing. And number eight just wants this thing. And if you put those two together, what would happen? And then if you combine that with the flaws of the vessel like the the human nature of the vessel or dragon or whatever whatever it is the flaws of a mortal being um and have it hold that and be corrupted by that what does that mean in for the common vin or paladin or you know i, I think that's a really cool idea that let's have this cosmic being and this cosmic being fighting, and then what would that do to the world? I think that's a cool concept for a a book. It allows us to explore simpler, rather straightforward kind of facets of or stories. Then it allows for so many layers of overlapping complexity. Right. When you start to bring in the magic system from this shard plus the magic system of that shard plus the motives of this vessel plus the heroic save the day of this hero 
there's so many different possibilities in there. And that's what we get with Cosmere is not only are we going to explore all of these different things, then we're going to go see what happens when you overlay all of those in the tapestry, all those threads together. It's, it's really fascinating. And I have to point out, I really like uh, what I think is especially true, what you were saying, Trevor, of it's, it's kind of like Brandon Sanderson has written all of these parts individually, you know, and whenever you put two of them in a place, right? You put, you said number two and number eight or whatever, and they want this thing. They want this thing, you know, like seeing how that unfolds, seeing what that does. That's exactly how is all of his characters are written. And I really appreciate it. Of We can practically predict if you took character X and put them in a room with character Y we kind of know what the conversations may look like, what what things may look like. They're just well-fleshed-out characters, and we understand how they operate in a lot of different lights. That is, I would say, more so in Stormlight, but I would say that in pretty much all of all of his books, they're, they're, well, they're very well done. And I just think that's a really wonderful part of his writing because it lets you really run with the ball of possibility of, of of guesstimating and what if this what if so and so is here you know what if so and so did this like you, you would kind of be able to really tell what characters may or may not do and stuff like that and i just think that's really um a really cool element of just how his stories are how the cosmere is i would say yeah elliot Earlier in the episode, you mentioned Tensoon. Tensoon goes to Luthadel and puts on Kelsier's bones, walks around the city, kind of on purpose, but also kind of on accident. One of like one of the interactions is purposeful. The second he accidentally walks into the churches of the survivor as Kelsier. But what does he tell the Ska? What are the What's the command he gives as Kelsier to the Ska of Luthadel? Ever since I saw you wrote this in the outline, I've been trying to think of it because I, I didn't note it down and I'm not recalling it, which usually when this kind of thing happens means I miss something important. Mm-hmm. So he he orders the two guards at the front of Keep Venture to gather the Church of the Survivor, gather as many Ska's will come, and go seek shelter underground. Okay? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the guard says, oh, where you trained your army? The the tunnels outside of Luthadel? I don't remember what they're called. Um, and Tensoon says, uh, yeah, that d- definitely what I meant. I definitely knew that existed. Um, yes, go there. And then he accidentally walks into the Church of the Survivor and he gives an even more cryptic message to them. He says, seek shelter underground, go to the two guards at the keep at the beginning of or at the opening of Keep Venture, they'll know where to go. When the mists disappear, be sure you are underground. Does your does your version say that? I just want to make sure. <laughs> I was flipping through to try and find it. I think I'm at the section. It, it looks like it does. Yeah, tell the people that when the mists leave, they should immediately find shelter, a place underground if possible. There you go. Yeah, I must have been reading fast. I didn't even notice that. I think my, my brain might have even read it the opposite. When when the mists appear, you know, get underground and, and hide or something like that. I I read right past that. So what do you think? Uh, what do I think? Tensoon knows what? something. Well, the Chondra apparently know all the things and are <laughs> sharing. When the mists leave, who cares about when the mists leave? That's what we're trying to get to, right? Is fix the world and get rid of the ash and get rid of the mists. Why, why do we need to hide when the mists leave? Yeah, I don't know. I'll let I'll let you brew on that one. Any input, Paul? I'm sure you remember, but any any input? Well, I was gonna say it's actually because so whenever the world clears up again, right? 
they, they, these people haven't seen <clears throat> much sunshine or anything like that. <laughs> so they need to be underground because they're they're going to actually get horribly sunburnt. Oh, okay. If everything clears up and they're above ground. I mean, they haven't seen, most of these people haven't, I mean, all these people haven't seen the sun in their life. You know, I mean, it's just, isn't it's that, just, it's just for their safety. Isn't that exactly the end of Yumi and the Nightmare Painter? Don't they act? doesn't they actually get sunburn? I think that's in the book that, Spoilers, sorry for you, me, and the Nightmare Painter. Yep, um, <laughs> major, major lower cause me breaking spoiler. Someone gets sunburned. Somebody gets sunburned at that. the end of you, me, I and the Nightmare Painter. I just know that it's like, I could see that there may be scenes where that happens, because Painter is very averse to warmth and sunshine and such, right. so maybe he does. Who knows? Anything else for... Vin, Ellen, Preservation, Ruin, Tensoon, before we go over to Spook. I was just about to ask if we could talk about Spook, so... Oh, one thing. Sorry, I had a... I had a funny thought in one of the chapters that I that I had to share with you guys. The, Vin, Vin is in prison. Roman has captured her. She has no medals. Tries to take the screws out of her bed to try and get metal, and lo and behold, they're actually silver because Yeoman thought about that, so he knows that she can't use silver. Yada yada yada. He's trying to figure out how do I get a message to Ellen, and she realizes that despite not having any metals, she still has connection to the Coloss that she has control of, and so at one point she tries to see if she could control a Coloss to get a message to Ellen. Ultimately, she figures out level of control about them i can just kind of give them direction and they don't they just kind of know what to do with it i thought i I instantly had a thought in that moment of picture this here's how ben could get a message to ellen marching band a coloss marching band yes indeed i thought of this as well marching band all she's got to do is Get the Coloss to walk around and form the shapes of the letters that <laughs> or pictures of the message she wants to communicate. And Ellen walks out of his tent in the morning and look at morning. Oh, look at those Coloss. They're in funny shapes. Wait a second. It says hi Ellen on the ground with the entire <laughs> army of, of Coloss. Like problem solved. There we go. We can communicate through giant Coloss marching bands. Uh-huh. Brandon Sanderson, we have broke your magic system. We can we can communicate through Coloss. Yes, I, come on, Ben. As as you put the, I have an idea in the in the outline. I did think of that. Is, <laughs> well, wait a minute. You could you could spell out some letters with a marching band. Yep. yep exactly. So I'm disappointed that Vin did not think. Of that. She probably didn't play trombone in high school. All right. We we don't need to go down this rabbit trail. We need to talk about Spook, but it would actually be kind of fun to, you know, think of all these characters as members of a band, either, either like a, you know, an actual like rock band or like a, you know, orchestral band and pick who would be, who'd play what instrument, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. We'll make a little bonus episode about that or something. Anyways. Spook. Leave us some comments. Up on our YouTube video and uh, leave us some comments on what instruments Ellen and everybody plays. Clubs is definitely a baritone. I can't explain why. Sazid is a percussionist, I believe. Ellen plays trumpet. Absolutely. Oh, Sazid yeah. plays specifically like the bass drum, but one of the like smaller bass drums, you know? Okay. Maybe timpani and <laughs> yeah. in concert season, you know? Pinduol is the conductor. Mm. Anyway, Spook, <laughs> uh, <laughs> he uh, he saved the day. He did it. He rips the spike out of his own shoulder. He pins Quellian down and rips the spike out of his sh- shoulder. I don't back. I don't remember where it's Quellian's spike is. Um, but yep, that's the uh, end of part four. Anything else for the episode, gentlemen? I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I'm I'm curious to ask Elliot. Did you have any 
So I know we've talked about Spook having the spike in him. We've talked about that probably multiple times. Did you think that he would rip it out? Did you think he would come to that conclusion and do it? Well, I, I didn't think that would happen. Elliot predicted that he'd go full Inquisitor. He predicted the other That's way true. and that he'd fall. So I, I, I was fully on board sticking with that prediction all the way until this, this chapter. I did. I didn't think Spook was going to turn it around. I, I did not think he was going to be able to overcome that desire for power really was starting to overtake him and he yeah i thought he was going to go all in add more spikes to himself all fall victim to that desire for more that addiction that we've talked about but it appears in at least in this chapter he does the complete opposite he he realizes that he's being controlled and manipulated he realizes that quellian is being controlled and manipulated the same way and he does the very difficult and painful thing he the description of it's kind of gory as well he's got a spike in him but his body's like healed over it mm. so he has to like carve it out of himself and pull that that spike and he does it and then on top of all that he goes charging into the flaming building like this was, this was just epic spook moments all around spook is pretty cool especially after this chapter he uh uh, he lived up to heir of the survivor, assuming that he survived. Well, I guess the survivor died doing his epic move, so maybe, maybe he fulfilled the Kelsier's legacy. I, point. I do think it's funny though that Spook is titled Survivor of the Flames, and then at the end he deliberately does. I what I, what what Kelsier doesn't like what Kelsier's telling him not to do. At what point does he realize it's not Kelsier? I don't know. I feel like he's going to have to talk to Ellen or Vin or someone before he realizes that. Yeah. That's I kind of the scary of thing of Ruin is like, is that like Spook has no reason. I mean, within reason. Spook has no reason to think that's not Ellen, I guess. Especially Ellen, sorry, not Ellen, uh, Kelsier. Um, yeah. I mean, Ellen, sorry, once again, <laughs> Kelsier, <laughs> um, is very deified. There's a whole religion about him, so maybe there's a more weight to him hearing Kelsier's voice. But, like, for average person aside, like, if you hear a voice of someone who's, I don't know, very, I guess, dear to you, very fond, like, you know, very special to you for a long time, like, I'm, with average knowledge, I feel like you're not jumping to this is some crazy greater power thing that wants to destroy the world. You're like, try to figure out how the person that you knew and loved is talking to you, I guess. I don't, I don't know. I think it's it's a re this seems like a really really dangerous tool that Ruin has to me, on like the average person. Like Vin catches on to it. Some of our other people catch on to it because they have more of that. I guess just a bit more like Cosmere aware minds. You know they have they have just have more knowledge about it. Uh, but I feel like this is so, like talking to someone as a specific person is such a manipulative and powerful tool to the unexpected, you know, that it, that it's really scary to me. So anyways, but the, uh, you know, whatever y'all were th saying, I think I cut Elliot off. Whoops. No, 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 good, good thoughts. Good thoughts all around. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if Spook's gotten all the way to where he knows exactly what was manipulating him, but I think it was clear by the end of this chapter that Spook knew something was wrong. And, and maybe it came with the realization that Quellian was also getting manipulated. Doesn't isn't there a point where Quellian like turns and, and acknowledges that's there? Am I imagining that? I don't remember. There may be. Oh, um, yes. The 
Kelsier's spirit, whatever, reacts to something that Spook does, and Quellian sees it. That's vaguely what I recall as well. Some some kind of interaction where Spook realizes, wait a second, this voice person influencing me that no one else can see is also apparent to Quellian and is controlling, influencing him as well. Wait a second, what's going on here? And, and enough of the pieces fell into place that I think he realized that he needed to act against that being. Has he gotten all the way to figuring out what was going on? Probably not. Right. Okay. The He has a conversation with Beldra before that grand scene, and Beldra tells him, you really need to be careful with power. Power has destroyed my brother. I've seen his fall over these last couple months. You try to save him and save yourself because power is not all that. And I think that's the conversation that saves Spook and kind of snaps him out of it because w- without that conversation, I think that Spook wouldn't have come through. But because he likes Beldra and you take into consideration the words of girls you like, go Beldra. Who, by the way, is an Alamancer? Oh, yeah, she's a coin shot, I believe. That one, that one caught me by surprise. Spook is spending this whole time trying to reveal Wellian as an Alamancer because in fights or whatever that he he was in, he knew he was being influenced by an Alamancer and just assumed it was Quellian, I guess. Yeah. Lo and behold, it was Eldra behind Quellian the whole time. Alamancy. I'm I'm glad that surprised you because that very surprised me on the first read through. Um it was <laughs> reading it the second time. I did I did definitely remember this part. This was something that stuck out to me. And so <laughs> watching all the scenes unfold as we went through as I went through it this time, it was kind of like, you know, whenever you're watching a movie and you know that the person is, you know, going the wrong way or whatever and you just want to like yell at them to to stop what they're doing you know it like you know watching a car crash and you can't like wait kind of thing and that's that's kind of how this felt to me this time because i knew it was coming see elliot even if i accidentally spoil big spoilers for you with spook there's still little nuggets in here that you can genuinely be surprised by so there you go you said something last book about how you assumed that the Chandra wouldn't kill each other. And then you said, this was the, with the reveal that Tensoon was actually Orser and Tensoon took Orser's place and that you made the assumption that Chandra were all, all on the same side and they wouldn't kill each other. And then you said, but I'm sure that's nowhere stated. So that that kind that type of framework just kind of sums up Sanderson's gotchas is yes we all just assumed that Quellian was the the coin shot and that was a very easy conclusion to show up to but at no point did we actually see proof of that we kind of just assumed it and for me that's the that's the sign of a of a twist well done yeah they let you they let you as the reader make assumptions and try to figure out the story and maybe just let you figure it out wrong so they can reveal the truth to you later what i don't like in a story is when an author intentionally misleads you when you you go back and read it a second time and you 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 see the author laying down hints in the wrong direction with you later that feels fake and Brandon there's, has there's a pretty bad one in the way of Kings. There's a pretty bad one in the way of Kings. Do you remember it? I mean, we I'm can sure I do. I'll, I'll reference it behind it, a Stormlight spoiler in a second. But the the one I can reference here now because it's in in Mistborn, and we we talked about it at the end of of book one, the the final Empire was, and you've challenged me to reread and and 
revisit my opinion, but the the whole Pelsier plan to die the whole time. Yeah. Twist. That one felt a little bit contrived because we were in Kelsier's head for quite a bit of the story, at least right. some parts. And so the, the fact that we were getting glimpses into Kelsier's private thoughts, and yet those thoughts did not reveal or in, in maybe even tried to provide hints in other directions, that felt slightly contrived to, to me, which is why I didn't like that twist. And we talked about that at the end of book one. But I think you directly challenged me to maybe go back and read and maybe over some hints that I didn't notice that are there that could, could lead you down that path. So I'm trying to not be too harsh with that and, and maybe on a reread, reevaluate that. But on the first read, that one felt a little fake. What about a theme for part four? We've just ended part four. It, this was the easiest part of a book theme I think I've ever come up with. It was instantly apparent. It requires no explanation. The theme of part four is destruction. There, there is a lot of destruction. Death. What, what, are yeah. our, what are our themes for the four parts of the Hero of Ages so far? Like despair, like <laughs> uh, <laughs> destruction. I, I don't remember the other two, but that we, we've had some cheery uh, themes for this book so far. I was going to say, I just look. I just remember back in other books whenever it was like things like hope. Yes. I don't know. Hope, faith, perseverance, yes. you know, all these like positive themes. And here we are. Destruction. Hey, hey. You know why. But, I don't need to tell you. But hey, <laughs> the title of part five, anyone know it? Of this book? Trust. Ooh. There we go. So maybe there's maybe there's something there. Okay. That is one of the biggest overlaying themes. So I'm glad I didn't actually realize that. I'm glad part five is labeled trust. Just very briefly, Stormlight spoiler that I was talking about earlier. One of the one of the bad misdirections that I think Sanderson has in the way of kings. Dalinar, before he realizes what's going on with the flashbacks asks the Almighty, can I trust Sadius? And the Almighty says, yes, this is important. Act in faith and you will be rewarded, or something like that. I don't, that's not the exact quote. But we then learn at the end of the book that they're just pre-recorded messages. And that line really does not fit the pre-recorded message. That The yes is very out of place, so... That's just one that came to mind when uh, when you said deliberate misdirections. Anyone want a Stormlight Refresher? Always. Paul, you are trailing four to one in Elliot's favor. Are you going to pull it back this week? You know, there's been a lot of close calls, so hopefully tonight is the night that the the, the balance tips maybe a little bit. I, I know it's a little bit. So for all of our listeners, it'll only have been a week, but for us, it was more like a month, but I just wanted That's to true. remind you that last time we recorded, you blew the easiest I trivia guess. question on the planet. So it, should, it really should I've, be four, two, I've, but it's not. I know. <laughs> It'd be three, two, right? If I no, gotten that. No, cause you, cause it's Elliot got one. it. Elliot got it, so we tied, so neither of you got a point. That's right. Okay. Never never mind. Whoops. And well, he walked off, so yeah, yeah. I think I won by default. Elliot Elliot has forfeited the match. Yes, four two. Alright, that's it. We'll take yeah, it. We're good. Let's go. <laughs> okay. So I'm ready. Four okay. to one in Elliot's favor. Paul, you lead with a chapter name. Give me the brief summary of what happens in the chapter. Are you ready? I'm already laughing. Yes, I'm ready. Great art. Great art. And this is not a Yumi chapter. This is a Stormlight chapter. <laughs> I'm going to go with this is the chapter where shall, in Words of Radiance sorry yes, Words of Radiance when 
Shalon draws all of her like little crewmates as something better, and it kind of bolsters them to to exemplify a little bit of their exemplary drawings. That's that's my guess. Incorrect. I am proud of that guess, regardless. I didn't I didn't know that that would be didn't think that would necessarily be correct, but I'm I'm proud either way. That's that's what I'm settling for in this <laughs> trivia. I'm proud of my incorrect answer. Yeah. When you're ready, Elliot. Great art. The the epilogues don't have titles, right? They're just epilogue. Is I will not I would... confirm or deny that. Ooh, okay, tricky. There's a there's an epilogue where Hoyd rambles about like the value of art or something like that. Uh huh. Like what brings value to art or there's a Hoyd discussion about that. Yeah, it's on my board somewhere. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's one of your one of your quotes. I think it's in an epilogue. The only way, but to... I think the epilogues don't have names. I think it's just epilogue. The only way to create so... something that nobody hates is to ensure that it can't be loved either. Remove enough spice from soup, and you'll just end up with water. Yeah, it's that's either in a monologue to Shalon in like Oathbringer or something like that, or it's epilogue. I think it's an epilogue, but I think the epilogues don't have names, so I think it's not that. So great art must be. Uh, I feel like it's it's misdirection here on Shalon, and that it's not Shalon, and it's somebody else. It's a uh, it's a it's a Renarin chapter. He's he's kind of artsy, ish, kinda, and uh, Renarin is is spinning on stuff and coming up with great ideas, and somebody's like, no, it's that's great art, it's not that. Yeah. Woo, okay. I think he's right. <laughs> okay. Um, I've had some good poker faces over the years. This was not one of them. Um, <laughs> Elliot, you'll be grieved to know that the epigraphs do indeed have titles, and wow. you were correct that the the, epigra- the epilogue of Oathbringer is titled Great Art, and ah. Hoyd is monologuing to a beggar next to him in a food line at Kolinar about what makes great art. Ah, I had it. You did. He is way, he was way more close than I thought he was going to be. Just that the, the thought went around a ways and I was like, oh, okay, this just, it'll be somewhere random. We don't remember. That's, that's, that's tough. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I also didn't think that epigraphs, the ep, sorry, the epilogues had names. So that's harsh. Yep. Now, now you know. Alrighty. Elliot, to you for your quote ID. It is worse when they think they are your friend. They make assumptions. They think they know you. Then start to expect things from you. Then you have to be the person everyone thinks you are, not the person you actually are. Oh... Oh, this could be a lot of things. This feels like a. This feels like a Aladdin to Shalon heart to heart. Maybe like in the in the chasm when they carve a, a slit in the side of the wall to escape the floods in the cavern, and and the chasm fiend goes by. And really epic scenes, by the way. That one's kind of engraved in my memory. They talk about some. They have they have a heart heart there. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with that. I don't know who it's who to who. I'm gonna say Shalon to Kaladin. Incorrect. Okay. And are we just supposed to know who the speaker is? All you need to know is who the speaker is. Okay. <laughs> well, then can you reread the quote because I thought it was Shalon as well. So <laughs> I'm gonna need to rethink. It is worse when they think they are your friend. They make assumptions. They think they know you. Then start to expect things from you. Then you have to be the person everyone thinks you are, not the person you actually are. The, the, the thought I'm hung up on right now is that this is some way related to Bridge 4. 
Okay. Whether that's correct or not is um okay. Um I could see this being like a flashback Kaladin and TN when they're young thing, but that seems too profound. I'm going to go that this is Moash to Kaladin in like the early Way of Kings stuff, Bridge bridge 4 stuff. So that's what I'm going to go with. Incorrect. Here's the I reply. Nod, I was like, nope. The the nod of no. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, mm-hmm, interesting. Yes. Nope. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Imagining scenes that never happened. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> All right. Elliot, here's the reply. So, who is the person you actually are? Lyft? Lyft was on my list of ideas, but she was like, yeah. who I was going to run through. Uh, okay. Lift. Goodness. Is this one of those is this one of those like kind of out of place scenes where Lift pops up and has like a deep conversation with like Dalinar? In the visions? It is, isn't it? She just like pops in, serious stuff is going on, and, and Lift is like the the comedic brevity and then then says something pithy like like this. Uh De- I don't know where this happens, but she's having a, a random out of place conversation with Dalinar. Incorrect. Eh. It, so the response was li- like to Lyft, right? Correct. Am I overthinking this? Do I just need to know that Lyft was the original speaker? Or is Lyft, there more? Lyft was the original speaker. Okay, so I just need to know who she's speaking to now. Right. Who said the response? Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm just going to go with guess number one in my brain, which was Wendell. That sounds basic. He's the companion of Lyft, but uh, Wendell. Correct. You are, you are correct. This is a random rant between Lyft and Wendell, one of their many, in Edge Dancer. I was thinking about the whoever the other kid was in... Gox. In yes, in Edge Dancer. And I was like, I don't know the name, so I'm just gonna go with the name I know. Anyways. Alright. One zero for Paul. Here comes your review. Alright. <clears throat> this book is okay. The story is okay. The characters are okay. There's nothing really amazing. Everything is just okay. The one thing that dropped this from a blank to a blank was the dialogue. I'm fairly certain that at some point, Sanderson got tired of writing and gave this book to his teenage son to finish. The characters are supposedly clever and witty. One character is even named Wit. I liked Hoyd in previous books. But in this, he is clever in the way a toddler is clever. In parentheses, extremely annoying. The characters all have dialogue, especially Shallan, that is supposed to show off how sharp-witted they are. But genuinely, the dialogue is full of things my friends and I said to each other when we were 13. The dialogue between three of the main characters is sophomoric at best. Sophomoric. What a word. Okay. I'm pretty confident I know the book. I'm pretty confident that this is The Way of Kings. And he's talking about, you know, he's read. I'm, I'm not going to say anymore. I think I'm going to go with The Way of Kings. The rating is the harder part. In my head, it could be anywhere between maybe two, two or three stars. Maybe... Four, the way he talked about it on and on makes me think it's not four stars. Whenever it started, I thought maybe four out of five. So it's got to be like one to three. I'm going to go with two two out of five stars, The Way of Kings. That's my final answer. Elliot? I think there's a lot of clues in that in that review. It talks about Dalinar's Dalinar, Brandon's Teenage son. His children are not that old. 
Correct. Now, in 2024. So I'm going to guess this is not an earlier work because I don't think his kids were teenagers at wow. that time. Is his Getting kids really meta. Yeah, meta answer only here. recently <laughs> teenaged? If even, are they even? Uh, this is this is like they're, they're this is bold of you to assume that this person was thinking that hard. And this, <laughs> this that was my follow thought is yes, I'm assuming yeah. that this that this person knows what they're talking about, which they're trashing a Sanderson novel, so they potentially don't. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to stick with it. I'm, I'm going to stick with the the line of, of thought there. It's a later Stormlight book. It's got to be it's got to be Stormlight because they talk about wit. So this has got to be. I almost want to say Rhythm of War. This is Rhythm of War, which does get rather dialoguey at a lot of at a lot of times. I enjoyed it. This person clearly didn't. This is Rhythm of War. The rating is a two out of five. Elliot, you will be grieved to know that this rating was written in 2017. Okay. And this is a one out of star review for Words of Radiance. I I don't know how you can say the book is okay and give it one out of five, but (laughs) um, yeah. I, it's whenever he continued on from that. That okay made me think four or five stars. Like it was good, but not my favorite. But then he went on to really trash it and say the dialogue was horrible. It was like it was written by a thirteen-year-old. Whatever. Alrighty, one zero to Paul, and Elliot gets this trivia question first. At the end of the Way of Kings. The Parshendi exclaim Neshua Kadal as Kaladin leaps over the chasm as he's sucking in Stormlight. Kaladin assumes this is an expletive, but later in the series this is translated for us. What does Neshua Kadal mean? Oh man. Vaguely, 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 vaguely familiar. I think this is something that maybe Relaine would have explained at some point, perhaps. Uh, what would he have said it means? Night Radiant? We're gonna go for it. You are correct. They exclaim hey. Night Radiant in surprise as he leaps over the chasm, and you've tied it 1 1. No points this week. Man, I, I I will say I'm re- I, that's an excellent trivia question. That was a really good one. Just that was just cool. I had no idea. It was really cool. So that's what it all. I think I'll remember that now. We will reconvene it next week. Still four to one in favor of Elliot. Thanks for joining me. Yeah. Peace.